have a great passage of scripture that I've been uh, set up on a tee for jo- uh, from Joseph so well, and uh, it is about the Damascus Road experience. And so as we go to our next slide, this is where we were. Last week we were at the origins of the late Saul of Tarsus because Saul ceases to exist. Uh, basically, after today's message. And today we're going to be talking about a near-death experience near Damascus. And so, Shelly, I see you're drinking some water there. Why don't you just bring it right on up here for me? Uh, I, I texted her just a second ago because I was like, ah, suddenly I got this frog in my throat. I was like, water, please, ASAP. She didn't get her message. And yeah, she's just sitting back there drinking water like, I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do. That's cool. I like that. Where did you get that? Your boyfriend get that? Anyway, um, so today we're talking about Paul's near-death experience near Damascus. And it is some very, very, very powerful words that are shared here in this narrative. And this is the narrative from Acts chapter 9. So I want to go to our first slide here on something to learn. Saul had what was called a violent capture of his rebel will. And I put that little asterisk there because that was what was uh, said by St. Augustine. He talked about how Paul was a violent man with a violent will that was rebellious against God. I talked about this last week, about the rebel that he was and about the violent man that he was. But this is the point where Saul ceases and Paul begins... And all of this happens so dramatically because the shift of his life goes from persecuting Christ to making him known to anybody and everybody they possibly can. And so it talks a little bit about Damascus and what an incredible city for Jews and probably for Christians. And so as Paul was going there with the intention of finding Christians to, to, to push them towards relenting about their faith, Instead, he was arrested and had a near-death experience in some ways as he went there to, uh, to persecute Christians. So let's go to our next slide here, and we talk about this one to remember. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, the life that I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And if ever there was a man whose life showed that he had truly been crucified in his old nature and raised to a brand new nature, it is the Apostle Paul. And this is that dividing line of his life. Let's go to our next slide. And as you kind of keep moving here, Saul undergoes what has uh, has come to be called the Damascus Road experience. And the narrative is found in in Acts chapter 9. But then later, Paul is arrested. Not Saul anymore, but the man known as Paul is arrested. And he stands before King Agrippa to give his side, his defense of his actions, as he is being sent to Rome in an appeal to Caesar. And it's there in Acts chapter 26 that Paul gives additional insights into his experience. And so I'm going to be talking a little bit from both passages because it's Paul's narrative of what happened and then his own recollection and his own words as he gives a personal testimony before a king about what happened to him. Are you guys with me so far? You all understand? But here's what's really cool about that is the narrative tells us what happened. Paul tells us what he felt and what he remembered and what he heard. And as you see this in just a few minutes as we get there, 
you'll see that it adds richness, it adds texture, and it shows that Paul was being intercepted and his violent will was being violently overtaken by a God who said, no more against me, now you will work for me instead. Now, don't miss this. And by the way, I, I want to just say, uh, for some reason, uh, my my words are a little weird in the way that we imported them somehow. So if that's off a little bit, y'all just know that that came because of uh, one group coming into the next. So I apologize for that. Hopefully it, that won't be too big of a problem. In the narrative about his experience on the Damascus Road, Ananias is told that Paul will be sent to Gentiles and their kings. Later in Paul's retelling in Acts 26, when he's actually standing before a king, by the way, Paul says that basically Jesus told him that he had been saved for a specific purpose and a specific mission. Now, here's where I want to take just a minute and slow down. If you heard me talking about Vince coming into this world with a purpose from God already planned for his life, you probably found yourself shaking your head and even saying amen. Because we believe that each and every life, God has a purpose and a plan for. But for some reason, we tend to believe that and yet live in a different way. But this is so powerful. Because it, it, in most of our ways of thinking, Paul should have been saved and then developed and then eventually given his commission to go out and do God's work. But that's not how God did it. He said, you do these things. And then Ananias is going to come and he said, I'm going to show him immediately that he's got a purpose to be my spokesman out there. And he's going to do great and amazing things. And I think that it is important for you and I to remember that we are not called to accept Christ and then sit. Not called to accept Christ and then just Stay stagnant in our development, our growth, our love, our support of God's work. All of the things that are happening in God's kingdom should be things that we are interested in, that we want to get involved in because we have been saved for a purpose. And for some of you, it's one thing. For others, it's another. But this is why we have been saved. We've been saved for a purpose that God has called us to. So don't miss it. If it's true of Paul, it's true of you. And he would later write in his words to the Corinthians that we are God's workmanship prepared in advance to do God's work. And so that is important to know. Now, as Paul does stand before Agrippa like we talked about, I got kind of a heavier, a, a, a bigger chunk, a bigger section here out of Acts 26. And I want to read it to you over the next three slides. So here it comes. And just listen as Paul tells what he experienced there on the Damascus Road. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus, and about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. And note, I, I bolded that. I'm going to come back to that. We all fell to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. And I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a, as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. You hear the commissioning? You hear it? I'm appointing you as a witness. 
I will rescue you from your own people, from the Gentiles, and I'm sending you to them to open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul's commissioning was immediate. And notice that Paul was not the only one who was in this experience, but he's the only one who engaged with this experience. Did you notice that? Let me just share this with you. Don't miss this. And this is what I want to share with you. This Damascus Road experience changed Saul into Paul. He was never the same, but there were companions with Saul who we know nothing about. You might be like, okay, so what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. Probably from about me to about this spot right here, this candle, that's how close the people around Paul were to absolutely, positively life-changing experience and power. And they went away empty. Do you see what I'm saying? They were that close to Paul. It changed him forever. Changed the world forever. And they were this close. And we don't know that it even changed anything for them at all. The only thing we know is it probably changed that they didn't keep going to Damascus with the same experience planned. Right? Can I share something with you? This is a big thing to not miss. You have experiences and opportunities that are catalyst moments like what Eric talked about a couple weeks ago. That could be just simply moments or they can be monuments for God's use in your life. It is truly up to you. Because the truth of the matter is, is I've been to conferences before that people have said, that conference saved my marriage. And then there are other people that left and still got a divorce. I've had people say, that conference changed my life. I came to know Jesus at that Christian concert that I went to. It changed everything for them. And somebody standing right next to them left and they said, cool concert. And that's about it. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? What I am trying to drive home to you is, you and I determine how open our hearts are to God. God's life-changing power that happened to Paul on that Damascus Road experience is still happening to people today. But there are people, there are even Christians, who see that life-changing power fall on somebody else. And then they turn around and look at somebody, surpass them in their Christian walk and their passion for the Lord and their desire to do for God and His people and His kingdom. And it all happens like that. And nobody even blinks an eye. Why? Because it happens all the time. You make the choice if God's power will change you or if you will leave unchanged. But the power is there. You guys understand what I'm saying? So when the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, they heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. They didn't see anyone. It changed Paul forever. So much so that he was no longer called Saul anymore. He changed his name because that's how deep and abiding the change was. Now y'all think about that for a minute. And I'm going to take a quick drink. Alright, let's go to our next slide. This is our big idea. Oh, I had my chance. 
because I'm going to make you guys say this. You all know this. This is when I should have had you repeating and I'd take a drink. But here we go. This is our big idea. God pursues you, but you make the choice to resist Him or surrender to Him. Let me ask you a quick question. Not a hard question. Not even difficult. Not a trick question. Did Paul resist or did Paul surrender? He surrendered. Did the other men resist or did they surrender? They resisted. So let's say our big idea here together on the count of three. Would you guys say it with me? Ready? One, two, three. God pursues you, but you make the choice to resist or to surrender. Now, can we make it personal? You know the way that I do it sometimes. God pursues me, but I make the choice to resist or to surrender. All right. Moving on very quickly here. Where is Jesus in this passage? Here's where Jesus is. He's the one who answers the question, who are you, Lord? Also, Master. He identifies himself as the one who Saul is ultimately persecuting. And note, this is significant because Jesus is saying that when we hurt his children, we're not just hurting some random person, we're also hurting him. So that also means that when Jesus says, you know what, if you'll just give a cup of cold water in my name, then you have done that same thing for me. Because when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was hungry, you fed me. Lord, we don't remember that. When did we do that? When you did it for the least of these, you did it for me, right? So this is God's teaching always. It always is God's teaching. Now, I just want to share something with you. Let's go to our something to learn number three, our next slide. And I'm going to bring this down very, very quickly and be done very quickly. Some of this material will come into next week. I just don't want it to be something that keeps you from uh, appreciating this great passage of Scripture that flows perfectly well into what we're talking about. So Paul, speaking to King Agrippa, said that Jesus told him in that moment that the narrative doesn't hold. He said, it was hard for you to kick against the goads. A goad was a long stick with a sharp point that a farmer would use to poke the leg of an animal who would not work. If an ox kicked upward against it, it would tear into that flesh, making resistance a much more painful experience. All right. All right. So this is as close as it's ever going to get to dancing, right? So if you're an ox, you're down on all fours and you kick that stick that the owner has poked you in the rear end with. And what happens there as it pokes you in the rear end and you kick up, rips up into your flesh. And so it's a painful experience, but then it becomes an incredibly painful experience. So when Paul is on that Damascus road, Jesus speaks down to him and he says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Aren't you tired of kicking against the goads? You understand what he's saying? Aren't you tired of resisting me? All of these times that I've been reaching to you and you've resisted and you've said no. Aren't you tired of the path that you're on without me in it? Now here is what I would ask you and I think I need to always ask myself. When I get on my own way and I get on my own path and I get on my own run, 
And then I find it to be empty. I'm kicking against the goads. I'm kicking against the thing that God is trying to steer me into for my own good. And for that moment where He hits me in a painful spot and I react, all I'm doing is making it harder for myself and more painful for myself than if I would just simply surrender. And here, it is so powerful to think about that God is speaking to Paul in that moment. And it doesn't find itself in the narrative. But later, Paul tells us this added layer. In that moment where I've been blinded and I cannot see, and all I can say is, clearly you're Lord, but who are you? I'm doing all this in New Texas version here, okay? Y'all know what I'm saying? Clearly you're Lord, because you've got power that I cannot fathom. You've knocked me from my saddle, and I'm laying in the middle of the road. I've been blinded by a light that's literally brighter than the sun, and I can't see a thing. But I have no idea who you are. Who are you, Lord? And he answers and he says, I'm Jesus, who you've been persecuting all this time. Aren't you tired of kicking against the goats? I've been trying to get your attention all this time, and aren't you tired of resisting what you already know in your heart to be true? Now, there's more to say, and I will pick this up next week because we're short on time, but I do want to bring this to a close. And I want to do this in this quick way. Let's talk about this big question, slide number 24. Okay? So it's right here. Who are you in this life-changing story? Are you Saul? Who just says, you know what? I'm tired of going against God's plan and against God's poking and prodding for me in the right way. Or are you Ananias who is called to go and be an encouragement and a blessing? And we'll talk more about that next week. Or are you one of Saul's companions just this close to life-changing power and yet walking away unaffected? The truth is, is that you and I make the decision and the determination of what kind of people we will be and who we are in this story. Here is what I know. This is where it comes down to this big idea, and it's right there. We make the choice to resist Him or surrender to Him. And can I just say one other thing? Well, you might be saying, well, Randy, I'm already a Christian, so it's fine. I surrendered a long time ago. Let me ask you a question. How's that going? Is that still the same level that it used to be? Are you still that surrendered? Because many times we as Christians, we get to the place where we know we need to be that surrendered, and we do. But then, you know how I know this is you? Because this is me. Like, it's all of us. It's human nature. We were surrendered, but then we begin to take pieces back, and another piece back, and another piece back, and suddenly we're on a path that doesn't look like the same one that God had us on in the first place. If you can identify with that at least once in your life, can I get an amen? Amen? I mean, we've all been there, right? Lord, I did surrender, but then I started taking it back. 
The truth is, is my life is not my own, no more than Paul's life was his own. No more than your life is your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. This is what the Scripture tells us to do. So, we all have to come back to the place where we once again surrender. Perfect way to talk about surrender. I don't know if you guys can see this. Just go ahead and skip the eye of flyby and go to the next. What is that? It's the white flag of... So if you go to this next slide, here's what I would like to share with you. When did the white flag become associated with surrender? Well, it's literally been associated with surrender for thousands of years. Ancient Romans did it uh, in the 69 AD battle, which is roughly about 2,000 years ago. Most historians believe that the reason that a white flag with nothing on it was the flag of surrender was because usually uh, it was very plentiful. It was one of those things that was not expensive. It was the cheapest way, and almost everybody had one even when they were down to their very last man, right? And so they would take bed sheets, they would take pillowcases, they would take whatever it was, stick it on a flag, and wave the white flag of surrender. Later, this became something that the Hague and the Geneva Convention said is something that is the universal sign for surrender, no matter who you are, or where you are, or what war you are in. But here's what else they said. They said it was against the law and illegal and it was punishable as a war crime for you to raise the white flag of surrender, but not actually what? Surrender. Why? Because there would be people that would try to pretend it was something and then they would begin to fight again. You see where I'm going with this? You see where I'm, ha- I'm headed with this? We cannot raise the white flag of surrender and then begin to fight again. And Paul said, I raise the white flag of surrender and I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It's done. And his life showed every bit of what he said. So the question I have for you is, does yours? Heavenly Father, as we surrender ourselves again, brand new and afresh to You, realizing that You are the God who has called us for a purpose, I pray that nothing in our lives would be held back from You. Lord, use us for Your kingdom and for Your purpose and for Your will rather than our own. So very quickly, as you guys would just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I don't know what's going on in your life. And I don't know where you are as far as where you stand with the Lord. But here's what I am asking for you to do. If you know that the Lord is speaking to you, if you know that you have been a person who needs to raise the white flag of surrender once more, or has raised it, and then begun fighting that thing again, I'm wondering if you might trust me to be able to pray for you this coming week by just simply lifting your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you or call your name or anything like that, but if you know that the Lord is speaking to you 
and you need once again to surrender to Him and to His will for your life. With everyone bowed and every eye closed, would you just simply lift your hand? I thank you for that. May God bless you. And thank you for that as well. God bless you. Anyone else? May God bless you as well. Someone else here today. God bless you. Thank you so much. Anyone else? Heavenly Father, you've seen our hands and you know what's happened in our lives. Lord, may it all be for your good and for your glory. And may we, as the Apostle Paul would write later in his life, May we be crucified with Christ and may the old nature be put to death and instead the new nature come on so strong and so powerful and be so clear and evident that no one would ever question whether or not we have been crucified with Christ. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody together said, Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for your time and for your attention. Come back next week. I've got more that I would love to share with you from this passage and more to tell about just immediately following this narrative in Acts chapter 9. So please come back. Please be a part of this as we go deeper into Paul's life 